Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Uh, a year ago, I had the privilege of visiting the Art Institute of Chicago. You ever been there? I hadn't either. Never have I ever been in the presence of such wonderful, classic works of art. Remember, I was raised in northern Alberta. My mind was blown. It was a truly amazing experience. Now, I had planned, and I I don't mean this as one of those sad teasers where I'm telling you what I was going to show you, but then I forgot that I was driving in this morning and completely forgot to send the pictures so that they'd be online right now. I had some great pictures of me posing a selfie with, like, Monet. And American Gothic, that one I sent to my boys because they always loved that picture of the guy with the pitchfork, you know, and his stately wife. Um, and so, uh, but there was just marvelous pictures and marvelous things that I'd only ever seen in a book. And now they were huge. Some of these were things were huge pictures um, that I had no idea of their size and room after room and gallery after gallery, these wonderful priceless works of art were on display for all to see. And some were huge, like room size. And others were really small, and you kind of didn't expect that. Uh, Some were renowned, but many others were actually less known, or certainly less known to me. I was awestruck by them. But I was also gripped by not just the classics, but there was some contemporary art that actually surprised me. I don't know, I guess I probably was a little elitist in thinking the older art was better. And there's some contemporary art that was just mind-blowing, so powerful, so good, really enjoyed, just genius creativity. But here's what's interesting to me. Behind every one of those artful treasures on display, of course, there's the artist, but beyond the artist, behind the display of that wonderful work of art was a curator who carefully procured this wonder so that it could be there on display that day for the rest of us to see. And what gets shown on the walls or in these galleries really depends on a very careful collection process, a lot of negotiations, sometimes between countries and agreements, and they share things around and foundations, and this very complicated, careful collecting process that goes on behind the scenes, and we never see that. So that what gets procured then gets displayed. Well, the same is true of our lives. And Jesus offers this deep insight today for us. Jesus invites us today to curate our own hearts. As though we were the curators of some great art collection. Because as it turns out, what we display to the world is what we've procured within ourselves. Will we be known as a treasure trove of wondrous beauty? 
or a junk collection of ugly knockoffs? This is the question. It all depends on what we have first procured, what we intentionally collect. Because what we let in the door gets hung up on the walls. Now, I'd like you to hear the teaching of Jesus today uh, in four translations. We're continuing our uh, masterclass teaching uh, in the Gospel of Luke, where we're learning from Jesus what it means to follow him. And this passage today is quite short. It's embedded within a longer block of teaching in Luke chapter 6 that we've been looking at now for a few weeks. And Jesus has been helping us see how his followers exemplify the love and the grace of their God, both in their actions and in their attitudes. And he's very concerned about what's going on inside the hearts and minds and lives of his people as they do it. Those four who have been asked to come and read the scripture, I want you to come forward now. We're nearing the climax of this long teaching section, and Jesus is closing in on his main point which is next week, so you'll want to come back. But in order for us to hear the teaching of Jesus today, I'd like you to hear it in four distinct translations. And so here we go. Listen up. From the New International Version, we first read, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick... pick, pick Pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Luke six forty three to 45 NIV. Hear ye now the King James Version. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For the thorns men do not pick or do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. But now also tune in to Eugene Peterson's translation in the message. You don't get wormy apples off a healthy tree, nor good apples off a diseased tree. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It's who you are, not what you say and do, that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. This is from Luke 6, 43 to 45 in the message. Hi, Church. The last version that we have is the New Living Translation, and it goes like this. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruits. 
Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Luke 6, 43 to 45. Thank you. Well, Jesus seems pretty clear, hey? Even spread across four quite different translations from the venerable King James to the slangy message, Jesus' teaching renders down precisely the same. What comes out of us flows from what's inside of us. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Jesus starts with an organic analogy because every gardener knows that the fruit you get comes from the tree you plant, period. Right? Of course, you're Creston Valley people. You know all this. And yet we continue to be shocked by what comes out of us. Or am I the only one? Or perhaps we continue to be shocked about what comes out of others around us. Those things that seem to bubble up unexpected or unwanted or unbidden, often at those awkward moments. We all know, though, that the fruit comes from the root. But when it comes to our lives, to our attitudes, our actions, to our words or our behaviors or our patterns or our habits, to our angry outbursts or maybe cold responses or our offhand judgments, we often act like, whoa, where'd that come from? That's just an anomaly. Maybe an odd coincidence. Or I'm just human. We're a bit of a weak moment having a bad day. And let me be clear, we do have bad days. And Jesus understands them. We are frail and there's always forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Amen. But Jesus doesn't want us to look at that as sort of a, you know, that's just a weird thing or some sort of cover-up for some deeper work that needs to be addressed. In fact, Jesus invites us, particularly maybe in those moments, to step back and to see something vitally important, that what comes out of us flows because of what's first inside of us. And so we should tend to what's inside. You can't complain that it's not a peach if you've gone and planted pears. Amen? If you want a peach tree, rip out the pear tree. Plant the peach. Jesus then moves, of course, from the tree to treasure, that what we produce in life, what we show in life, comes out of a kind of treasury that we have within us, that as human beings, we've been equipped with a storage facility of sorts. And what we put into that storage facility is inevitably what comes out of us. Again, it's not difficult really to understand what Jesus is saying here, so what's the point? Well, if we accept Jesus' teaching as true, some of you may not be at that place yet. You're still monitoring it. You're unsure. Some of you, even if you have claimed to follow Jesus, aren't entirely sure you want to go all the way with his teaching. You're not entirely sure how authoritative it is in your life. I understand that. 
But others of you would say, I accept Jesus' teaching is true and authoritative, that somehow I need to respond to this. Well, if we are to take Jesus' teaching at least as brilliant, serious, esteemed, but also as authoritative and true, we have to take into consideration what he's saying here. And perhaps for some of us to take conscious steps to then tend our treasure with intention and with care. And treasure, you'll notice a couple of translations used that word and some didn't. Treasure is actually the word that Luke uses here in the Greek. It's a word that refers to a a special place where treasures are kept. A kind of storage container or box or chest that you would hide away the things that really matter. As humans then, Jesus is saying something profound, that we are all treasure keepers in some way. We're all storing up what we treasure inside of us. And that treasure, be it, you know, our Institute of Chicago variety or pawn shop variety, that treasure is the very source then of what is our personal gallery, what comes out on display, both good days and bad. Now, it's very important that we understand what Jesus is saying here and what he's not doing. He's, he's not telling us to now become obsessed with showing a good face to the public. You know, get that bad art off the wall for crying out loud. You know, don't let anybody see that. He's not telling us to now get all caught up with the externals. Instead, Jesus is instructing his apprentices, his followers, to get super focused on what's actually inside of us. Because that's going to determine what's displayed. That's going to determine how we treat others. That's going to determine how we love God. That's going to be what overflows into our speech or our actions, into our lives or our service. And that's actually the opposite of so much religious activity and ideological angst. Much of what we see going on around us, both religious and ideologically, the fundamentalists who have an obsession with policing everyone's externals. Have you met them? Commanding your language, painting a face that we show to the world. And you'll see this in fundamentalists of every stripe, religious, political, ideological, cultural. They end up placing themselves over everyone else. They're the moral, religious, ideological police trying to control what everyone says, what everyone shows. It was true of Pharisees back then, and it's certainly true of them now. And as a result of that kind of externalized focus, pride and judgmentalism, arrogance and shame, all the things Jesus has been trying to root out of his people become the actual motivators of what is externally shown but actually becomes a display of junk because within the heart, of course, festers the pride, the anger, the resentment. A heart that festers, withers, and dies. And this is most decidedly not the way of Jesus if we've been listening at all. Jesus moves in the opposite direction of fundamentalist religion and ideology. Jesus, yes, wants people who are loving others, who are living rightly and godly, who are speaking truth and sharing grace, but he knows that this kind of external focus, this kind of obsession with laws or rule or pressures, they don't accomplish it. 
Laws don't change the hearts. Instead, Jesus goes right for the inside, right for the very us of us, down to the heart, the core, calling us to be a people who are true and good and holy and pure, cleansed and forgiven, honest and true on the inside. So that that is then lived out to the outside. By tending the heart, the inside, the inner life, by letting the Holy Spirit in to root around, shovel out, cut out. We're going to rip this wall down now. Sit over there. You know, that kind of reconstruction that the Holy Spirit wants to do through God's word in our lives so that we can be transformed gradually and sometimes at rapid speed into people that look more and more like Jesus. And we can see that thread all the way through the scripture from start to finish. By tending to the heart, it turns out that's how the Holy Spirit works so that we end up keeping the law of God, the law of Christ, the law of love that gets written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We end up keeping God's ways now as a natural overflow of a recreated life within us, of a life that under the power of the Spirit has been tending to the true treasure. And so in response to Jesus' teaching today, I'd like to offer you some practical guidance. Um, I'm going to just break a whole bunch of preaching rules right now by giving you, oh, how many is it? Like, hmm, at least eight points. I'm going to organize this practical guidance to offset that terrible thing I'm going to do to you. I'm going to offset it by organizing it with an acronym. You need some paper or you need to pull out your phone and make some notes because I would like to say that your spiritual life in Christ depends on it, but that might be a little too much pressure. But what I've organized here is the top tips for tending your treasure. And I'm going to use treasure as an acronym because every other word was too short. Treasure is the acronym. How do we tend our treasure? Are you ready for this? Number one, T, we tally our inputs. If you want to tend your treasure, you tally your inputs. In other words, we have to be people willing to honestly ask, what am I taking into my life? What am I consuming? And so you ask yourself, what am I consuming? And I do mean food, but I'm talking about media. I'm talking about what's being played on in your mind, what you watch, what you read, what you talk about. What is coming into you as a whole person? I just don't, I don't know. And none of this tending your heart business would suggest I'm only talking about this little part of your life that you call Christian and the rest of you isn't affected. I'm talking about the whole person because when Jesus talks about the heart, when Moses talks about the heart, when the Bible talks about the heart, they're talking about the whole you, which includes your body, by the way. It's all of you. And so you ask yourself, If I'm going to have a display on the lawn of everything I'm consuming in the kitchen, figuratively or literally, will it be an exhibit of beauty? It's an honest question. Not meant to engender shame, not meant to be some kind of weird obsessing about externals, but to get an honest read. What am I taking in? 
What are the habits? What are the attentions? What are the inputs? Just sheerly on basis of time, how many hours am I spending doing X? Tally your inputs. You might even want to write a list. In fact, I suggest you would want to write a list. Really, we have to start there. Because how do we get a sense of how we're tending our treasure, of even responding to the words of Jesus about what comes in and flows out if we have no idea of what's coming in? Tally your inputs. The second, which is based on this insight, of course, is the R. Based on tallying your inputs, you're going to want to either repent of sin, refuse distraction, or reject junk. Pick your R. And it might be a few of them. As we discover what we're taking in is not good, not helpful, not godly, just not moving us in the direction that Jesus wants us to move, then we have to make some kind of decision to go the other way. If this is the work of the Holy Spirit, you'll be given specific conviction, not a pervasive guilt, not a vague feeling of shame. That's not from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help you identify what is it that is holding you back? What is it that's clogging you up? What is it needs to go just so you can start curating the good? And to offer that through a prayer of intention, a prayer of repentance, where we say to the Lord, I've identified these things and that's, these are wrong. I, I repent from them. I ask for forgiveness. I confess them as sin. I'm turning away from them. But also these other things, you know, they're just junk. They're just distracting. And I need help just minimizing them or eliminating them altogether so that I can tend to the heart as you've called me to tend to. So we tally our inputs and then we repent, refuse, or reject. Three. This is the E of treasure. We encourage healthy habits. The only way to begin curating the treasure within is through the encouragement of healthy habits. Now, this might be related directly to some of the things you've identified in your life. Some of the things you've repented from or you've decided to refuse or reject. For example, if we realize we've spent a whole lot of time doom scrolling, as they call it, for hours on the phone, you know, Oh my, oh my, oh! Anyone? You might need to think, how do I replace that unhealthy habit? Which, by the way, is very hard to break because of the uh, addiction power of a screen. But how do we replace that unhealthy habit with a habit of, for example, daily spiritual reading? It'll take a little while because the dopamine hit isn't quite as hard when you're reading something from the 17th century that's been translated from the French. You know what I'm saying? But how do we replace an unhealthy habit with a good one? Or perhaps you've been a person that is constantly worrying or frantic. Anxiety is just your story uh, in daily life. Then how do we then cultivate healthy habits of gratitude? How do we create lists or journals? Identifying those things we need to reject or repent from or move away from might by its very nature, help us understand what's the healthy habit that needs to replace that. But more proactively, we can simply ask, what are the healthy habits that I want to encourage so that I am curating God's treasure within me? My suggestion to you is actually to go back and do some of the work perhaps some of you have done and forgot. Others of you didn't do it at all. The work that we did out of Luke chapter 2, 52 where we looked at the growing up life of Jesus and how he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and favor with others. 
And we use that as a kind of framework for our growth into Christ, our growth like Christ. That we too can build healthy habits in these four quadrants. How are we growing in wisdom? How are we growing in stature and, you know, stewarding the bodies God has given us? How do we grow in favor with others, dealing with some of our relational stuff? How do we grow in favor with God? And those are, uh, there's a beautiful framework. It's not the only one, but it's a beautiful way of approaching this healthy habits that I want to encourage so that I'm curating God's treasure in me. It really overlaps beautifully with the growing up into Christ that we worked through in Luke 2.52. And if you want to go back, we spent, I mean, talk about slowing things down, right? Four messages spent just on one verse. I don't do that very often. Um, But go ahead and look at that. But more importantly, take Luke 2.52 and ask, how do I nurture these kind of healthy habits to curate God's treasure in me in these areas? That's the E. Next, we've got A. A stands for ask for the help you need. No true change, but especially the difficult inner work of Christ-centered transformation can be done alone. It's not about willpower. It's not about muscling through. We actually need help, period. And here's the interesting thing. True Christ-like transformation requires it because it actually is the plan of God that we depend on each other for growth, that we depend on him for growth. We can't, by its very nature, grow into Christ-centeredness without each other and without help. And so we need to simply ask the Holy Spirit for his help, but also ask others for help. It's as simple as that. Ask for help. Humble yourself, acknowledge your need, and ask for help. And that relates to the next uh, letter, S. If we really uh, tend our, need to tend our treasure, want to tend our treasure, we need to, S, seek spiritual friendships. In the ask one, I'm talking more broadly, just the willingness to ask for help. Ask God for help. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Ask your spouse or your friend for help. But now I'm narrowing that now to the need for us to have specific spiritual friendships. That's the S. Now, spiritual friendships have a long tradition in the Christian family. If you read down through Christian history, you can see it crop up all over the place. Spiritual friendships is not about having nice friends. Do you have nice friends? Does anyone have nice friends? I am so happy for you, but that's not really the nature of a spiritual friendship. Some of them are actually that nice. Um, but anybody know somebody who is kind? No? Nobody? Okay. That too is not what I'm talking about with spiritual friendship, although, oh please, wouldn't it be nice to have a kind one? It's not about easy conversationalists. Spiritual friendships within the long tradition of Christian history and growth are about intentional, committed, covenant relationships where we've committed to connect with someone with intention over time regularly to share our lives with them to listen to them, and to pray for them, to grow together in Christ. Historically, it's often been done through letter writing. So, hey, you don't even have to get, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm suggesting you probably do need to get in the flesh with them, but don't be limited by that. 
It's not about that. It's about people that say, I am truly for you and your growth in Christ. I'm here for you. And I've made a commitment to walk with you. And there's confidentiality and there's trust that grows over time. But there's a willingness to say, I need the kind of friendships where a person is committed to my growth in Christ as I am committed to theirs. And I want to say something very clearly. These kinds of spiritual friendships are actually not optional if you want to grow as a Christian. Now, I know I've been beating this drum for a long time, and I know some of you are thinking, please don't tell me that because I don't agree with you. I don't believe you. I have nice, kind Christian friends, and that's enough for me. But the truth is, many of us are continuing to try to grow in Christ all alone. You're trying to do it on your own. You're like a recovering alcoholic who says, I don't need any help. You do. We all do. None of us were meant to grow alone. By its very nature, the Christian life requires us to walk together. And some of us think because we have Christian friends around us and that occasionally we even have a meaningful conversation about God and about Jesus, which is great, and I encourage that, of course, we think, I've got spiritual friends with me in the trench. I wish that were true, but you know it's not. One of the things that was revealed to us during COVID is how alone most of you are. How you actually don't have people in your court. Not really. You think you do because you're sitting in a room full of them. And what's beautiful about it is you're literally sitting in the room, probably sitting in the room with someone who could really, really be your spiritual friend, who could really, really walk with you in covenant and commit to meet with you regularly and pray with you. They're actually here. But because that intention hasn't been made, people often end up doing this alone. We must decide to find a friend with whom we walk with intention And I urge you as I have been urging you to seek spiritual friendships as though your spiritual life depends on it because, my friends, it does. It does. You can only grow so far alone and, frankly, not very far at all. Well, how's that for pressure? Ah, gee, okay. Well, three more. You writing these down? The you is this to understand God's vision for your heart. Now, this point might seem a little more abstract, but it is super important. We often have too small a vision for ourselves. And we need to ask God, our Father, to give us His vision for us. His vision for our hearts, our minds, our whole person in him. That through prayer, through meditation, through scripture reading, we let the Father minister to us and share with us his enormous extravagant vision for your whole healthy healed heart. That through the atoning, death-defeating work of Jesus, we've been made right with God and cleansed from all sin and given this amazing status as a child of God that we would somehow grasp the hugeness of that 
And then through the new creation work of the Holy Spirit, we are now being conformed to the image of Christ, something God set out to do before the creation of the world to create from inside you, a glorious being shaped in the image of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is actively every day while you're sleeping, while you're driving down the road, while you're working, while you're eating your Wheaties, The Holy Spirit is actively working to bring about God's huge vision for you as a redeemed, restored, reconciled creature of beauty and grace and light. God has a huge vision for you as his kids. But we often settle for something paltry and pathetic in comparison. We settle with getting by. God wants us to fly. Now, however you may feel on days when you're feeling like failure, however discouraged you may become when you face setbacks or sinful patterns, the Father wants you to see yourself the way he sees you as whole and pure and undivided and filled with his vitality, covered in the cleansing power of Jesus, his blood that was shed for you, and to let that vision, that truthful vision of God for you, let that transform your very heart and life and how you see yourself. To understand it, to thank God for it and worship him for it, and then live into his grace from that place of beauty and wholeness. And if we can grasp even a little bit of that vision for ourselves, we're not going to settle for anything less than his best. That is going to motivate us. That is going to transform us. That is going to help us tend our heart's treasure. We're almost at the end. One more R. The second R stands for renewing your rhythms of rest or rest. The truth is many of us are hurry sick. Not all of us. I understand. There's a few of you have a lot of time in your hands and you're thinking, please bring me some hurry. If you're bored, I've got suggestions, by the way. Just going to say out loud. <clears throat> but most of us are hurry sick. Most of us have very low or, or, or little margins in our lives. And these low margins, this lack of room for rest, actually make us spiritually lazy and lethargic. One of our ancient church fathers said that busyness was a sign of spiritual laziness, which I always thought was a little weird because busy people seem like they're working all the time. But what he pointed out is that, as Eugene Peterson chimed in, Busyness is an illness of spirit. There's something going on when people are busy, 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 frantic, 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 frantic. And it's disabling them from actually tending the heart of God for them. When we are busy and frantic and pressed for time, we're not able to curate our souls. We're not able to tend our treasures. The urgent constantly crowds out the important. And we just don't have the wherewithal or the energy to mind what matters. Like a family who is, frankly, just too busy. They never sit down to eat a wholesome meal. They're always hitting the drive-thru. It's okay to hit the drive-thru once in a while, but you know the point. We can make ourselves so rushed and flurried that we end up just mindlessly stuffing stuff into the storehouse of our souls, the palace of our minds, the temples of our bodies, things that don't nourish us, don't strengthen us, are not good for us, helpful And they're certainly not tending the vision that God has for us. But Sabbath rest, rhythms of solitude and silence, even if they're only grasped for moments here and there, 
But as we intentionally stop, press pause, duct tape the kids' mouths. I, I don't know what you have to do. Not really. But somehow, renew a rhythm of rest in your lives. When God told his people to rest, it was a gift to a slave people. And we have become slaves of a hurried, sick culture. Jesus knows what the Father knows. He's created us as people who cannot be healthy as whole people without regular rest. We cannot curate our heart's treasure without the rhythm of the pause. There's a lot more we could say on this, but just mark it down and ask yourself, how am I going to rest? How am I going to rest? And now the final letter, E. E stands for enjoy. I want to break it into two parts because I, you know, just had to add extra. E stands for enjoy. First of all, to enjoy God's gifts to you. This, I know, acronym for treasure might feel like a long, overwhelming list, but it's not meant to. Here's the truth. Jesus wants our lives to be an overflow of how we're growing in him, of how he's growing in us. That by the Holy Spirit, as God is pouring his love into our lives and hearts and our bodies and our souls, that we're being transformed in the image of his son. How this perfect father who gives us perfect gifts is designing his life in us for our vitality and our abundance. And so our final step in in tending our treasure is to actually enjoy. First of all, to enjoy the gifts that God has given to us. To ask ourselves, what brings us life? What's making you more whole? What are the gifts that I've received from God through which I experience peace? You can make a list. Uh, One fellow I listen to, he encourages everyone to make a life-giving list, he calls it. A life-giving list which can range everything from how awesome the fuzziness of of a dog's ear feels. Not a gift from God. Come on. You ever met Charlie? Those ears are a gift from God, aren't they, Peter? Yeah. But right through to, you know, maybe that first sip of coffee in the morning. Can I get an amen? Yes. Um, To the pleasure of a Sunday afternoon hike where the mushrooms are popping up everywhere. What are some of the gifts that God gives to us that are meant to just be enjoyed as a gift from our Father? They nurture joy and pleasure and glory and thanks to the Creator to enjoy the gifts that God has given us and to actually identify what are those things that focus my heart and my mind on the goodness of God to make sure that I'm, I'm enjoying them, actually make sure they're happening in your life. By the way, if you begin to practice the pausing, the resting, it's easier to experience some of those because we rush right past them when we're too busy. And so under this E, to enjoy God's gifts to you, I do encourage you to make a list. What is it that brings life and joy to you? What is it that is a gift from God revealing his kind heart for you? And to let the Holy Spirit move you in that. But perhaps more to the point, and as we finish, it's not just enjoying the gifts that God has given us. It's enjoying him. 
It's enjoying the Creator. It's enjoying the Spirit. It's enjoying Jesus who has joined us in life, who has become one of us so that we can be one in Him. To let the Holy Spirit move within us a heart of love, to center our heart, our mind, our body, our soul on the one who loves us more than anything. And that through his gifts, as he communicates that love, through his heart, as he ministers to us, we can live from a heart that is filled with the treasure of his love. Just this last week, as I met with my monthly um, session, in my monthly session with my spiritual director, I think I've told you about him. His name is Terry. He's a retired pastor from Michigan. I've been meeting with him for six or seven years every month over screens. We did that before COVID, I might add. But at the beginning of our monthly sessions together, uh, spiritual direction sessions, uh, he often has a reading. And he read this poem to me this week. And as I was completing this message, it was exactly what I wanted to share with you. So I asked him to send it to me. When we think about enjoying God, this poem really speaks to me. Listen to this. Nothing is more practical than finding God, that is, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. When you are in love with, what see, or sorry, what you are in love with seizes your imagination and affects everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you will do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you will read, who you will know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. Catch that last line? Fall in love, stay in love, And it will decide everything. My friends, Jesus wants us to tend our hearts, to tend our heart's treasure. And through all of this to discover that the greatest heart's treasure we have is him. Jesus could have concluded and perhaps was even alluding to this in his teaching today. In the words of Proverbs 4.23, when he said, in Proverbs 4.23, we read, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Jesus wants you and I to be a gallery of his greatest art, his wonderful work, his priceless masterpieces. And so the invitation is that we curate well the gifts and the gift we've been given. Let's pray. Jesus, it is a wonder that you care so much for our life in you. You care so much that we be a people fully and truly alive, that we live into this glorious destiny that your Father has made everything possible for, has done everything that we need Fill us with your vision for us. Fill us with you. And may we receive this teaching today not as a laundry list of do's and don'ts, but as an invitation to curate the hearts that you love. May we be responsive to you. 
May we tend our hearts so that what flows out of us as your people and as your church is a wonderful flow of good, of grace, of glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.